This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Hear stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing home health industry. So I have Anna Powers. She is our VP of Clinical Services here with me on the line today. We work together, but we don't actually live in the same state. So we get together on teams, as a lot of people probably do these days working in a remote setting. And we go back and forth with some of the issues at hand. And one of the things that recently really piqued Anna's interest was clinical safety. And so we went through a little process of she wrote and submitted, and I'll let her talk to you more about that. But some of the stories that she was sharing, I I mean, it brought laughter and it brought tears. And so I wanted her to get to tell some of these in her own words and then really give you guys a step-by-step way that you can ensure that your clinicians are empowered to feel safe when they're out in the field. So Anna, um, welcome and just go ahead and share. Sure, Hannah. Thanks for um, joining me on here today. So yeah, I, I really got um, really passionate about clinician safety. I have been for years, but as a lot of people have heard, you know, there was a nurse in Washington State named Doug Brandt who was killed on December the 1st um, in a patient's home. I believe it was the patient's son who shot him. Just an ordinary day, poor, poor you know, Doug, he's out, he's seeing a patient, he walks in and his you know, his life has ended right there. Yeah, such terrible, a tragedy. Terrible, situation. Yes, I, I was, when I read it, it just tears. And even now I get emotional thinking about it because, you know, I have been in some weird situations as a field clinician. Now, I live in Tennessee, so we do have some different areas that probably are a little bit behind on the times around here that you get sent out to. So I've had a lot of odd encounters. As a nurse, I do have a little bit of a dark humor, so nowadays I can laugh about some of them, but when I think back about some of them, in hindsight, I'm like, gosh, you know, I really could have been hurt. Something bad really could have happened, but you have an instinct sometimes when you go out to see a patient where you drive up and you're like, oh boy, where am I? And sometimes it's, you know, there's nothing comes of it, but sometimes you just get this really bad feeling, and I've had times where... I just turned around and said, you know what, I I can't do that. I can't. There's something not right about this place. And I've left. And I feel like it's really important when a clinician comes to the agency leadership and says, I was uncomfortable, that this is taken very seriously. It's, you know, it's an instinct. It's, I think it's just a gift we're given to protect ourselves. A lot of people worry about patient safety and doing the right thing and complaints that come in from patients, but you've got to really think about those complaints that come in from your staff that are out there in the field because save a life if he had if he'd had that feeling yeah that gut instinct cannot be Mm -hmm. overrated right it's absolutely and I I, you know like I said some of the stories that you know things have happened to me are funny Um, I have a friend who is a PT who she's been in home health for 20 something years and she swears she's going to write a book one day I cannot wait to read it with her stories because she always (laughs) tells me the craziest stories but like chicken um, soup for the soul but crazy things that happen in the field yes absolutely I mean there are things that you just you just laugh there's a lot of endearing things that happen and then there's really scary things there's a lot of things you face when you're out there you face you know, what kind of pets are they going to have? 
sexual misconduct or innuendos, the environment, Mm -hmm. travel conditions. It's just really important that all these things are kept in mind when you're going out there because you just don't know what you're walking into. It's like a box of chocolates every front door. You never know what you're going to get, Forrest. So you mentioned patient safety. And we do talk a lot about patient rights, patient safety processes, things like that. What really hit home for me was clinician safety and what guidance and regulations say about the safety of a clinician. So what types of behaviors, and you mentioned a couple, but I just want to like throw some out there, should really cause risk concern? Well, I mean, there's always that concern. And, you know, it is the agency's obligation that if it's not a life-threatening problem, If it's not something that's just like a, we are not going out there no matter what situation, you have to try to resolve that problem. You have to reach out to that family. You have to reach out to that patient and say, hey, we have a problem. Let's work through this. And then if they will not comply with that, then you have every right as an agency to protect your staff. That is your, that's your most valuable asset is your staff. You have a right to protect them and say, you know what? We no longer can provide this service to you. And then reach out to the physician and let them know why so that they can put something else in place. But, you know, I've had situations where, again, I laugh about them, but I walked in a home. Um, I had a guy that I went to see one time who no dementia, no other reported issues or, or past medical history of mental issues. Every time I would go to his house, he would answer the door butt naked. I mean, <laughs> no, but no joke, no joke. Not even a tie and on. <laughs> nothing. We are. I mean, guy was even bald. He didn't even have hair on his Oh, gosh. So, uh, Yes, I would, he would open the door and he would just give me this really huge smile. And I was, you know, at first I was like, okay, we have mental issues. And then I got to looking at it and I was like, no, this guy is totally fine. I mean, we're here for something not even related to mental or dementia. But not only would he answer the door naked, but then when you would go into the home, he would try to bend over and do everything in the world to try to get you to capture that image and never be able to let go of it. Mm. And um, he would laugh about it. And, you know, I looked at him, I said, you know what, I, I don't need to see all that. You need to put that away. And he would just laugh about it. And, and I would make him put a robe on and he would sit down in the chair and then he'd throw his robe off. And so it got to a point where I, I kind of laughed it off. But I started realizing, you know, I'm out here in the country with this guy. I don't know what he's thinking. It, it seemed to get a little bit worse with each visit. So I went back and I said, you know, I, I can't deal with a naked man anymore. We got to do something. With his behavior being so inappropriate and uncalled for, this is not normal. Absolutely not. So I said, you know, I called the doctor just to confirm, you know, there's no dementia. Is there anything? No, he goes, no, he's just, he's just not being very nice. And I said, okay. So we went ahead and reached out to him and he continued to do that. And we had to end up discharging him because I could not, going out there was just, it was so uncomfortable. You just never know when that person could just turn on a dime and do something that put me in a bad situation. So, And you're alone. Um, you are absolutely alone. And I mean, I was way out in the country, um, didn't even have cell phone service out where I was. So I said, you know what, this is not worth it to me. And um, luckily, leadership was supportive of that. And they went through with, you know, discharging the patient off of services. I think that's really important that they do that if, if they protected me. And, um, and it could not just be the patient, like you brought up the story about Doug and that really spurred some additional conversation. But you, even if you have access to the patient file and you know that the patient, you may know what you think you're expecting, right? You don't know right. the psychological status, the 
anything related to anybody else who might be in the home. You do not. You do not know who is going to walk out of a door that's closed. You walk into a home and if there's a door that's closed and you hear noise on the other side, you don't know who's over there. You don't know. I've, I've had situations where clinicians have come to me as a part of leadership and said, you know what, I'm in this home and there's people and go people coming and going the whole time I'm there into this back room. I'm really nervous about it. They're it's kind of sketchy looking and come to find out they were dealing drugs out of the back room. And, and my clinician was there during drug deals going down. So we were like, okay, we're out of here. Unfortunately, the patient was in a bad situation, but what can you do? I mean, you, you have to protect your clinicians in that situation because if something had went wrong, she'd have been right in the middle of it. Yeah. So, um, and you know, it's, it's not even just those situations. It's the once had a, a, we've had a, OT called me one time on top of his car, freaking out because a wild turkey was chasing him. He never seen one before. And he said, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what this is. He sent us a picture. He was scared. You know, we were like, oh my gosh, that, that's a wild, a wild turkey. turkey. Like, You're talking like gobble that yes, wild. I'm okay. Okay. Thanksgiving. I'm with you. Turkey. <laughs> They're pretty big. Yeah. They be pretty aggressive. So he did call. I mean, Fortunately, we were able to send another clinician out there that was not scared of the turkey. You know, sometimes it's just having to switch out clinicians. I also had a clinician come in one time, call me and said, I've got to go to the emergency room. And I'm like, what's wrong? And he said, I got pecked by, I mean, a rooster. I said, what? He said, yeah. I said, you've got to be kidding. Of course, I'm laughing. I'm like, so a rooster, you're going to the emergency room. Because that's of the your story, buddy. And that's your story. <laughs> well, actually, the rooster had ripped his scrub bottom had took a big plug out of his leg and he had to have stitches in his leg. Um, oh my gosh. I'm dead serious. And he had been walking up to the patient's home, had to walk through the fence to go in. And we had asked the patient, you know, hey, you know, your your rooster attacked one of our people and caused him to have to have stitches. Can you put this mean guy away when we're coming? And they refused. They wouldn't they wouldn't revoke his free range right. And so um, we had to discharge because Anybody who walked through that gate got chased by this rooster. And I mean, he was ready for a fight when you walked through his gate. <laughs> we had to actually discharge the patient because it wasn't safe. So, oh uh, and goodness. you can't make this stuff up, Hannah. It's no. like for real. <laughs> no, no, you can't. What I think clinicians need to know is if you feel like you're encountering an unsafe situation, it's not your job to investigate it. It's a correct action to leave the situation. You are right. Now, if you do walk into a situation where the patient is danger, then it is our obligation to call the adult protective services and protect them. If now, the patient them is home. in danger, yes. Yeah. If the patient is in danger, I have I have experienced that before where I've walked into a home and, you know, the cabinets were locked. The patient couldn't get into the pantry um, to get food during the day while the family was away at work. He had actually been cold. They turned off the heat during the day in the little mobile home that he was living in. It was snowing outside and I was there because he was diabetic. So he didn't have much feeling in his feet and had been sitting in front of the stove trying to keep his feet warm and had literally burned the soles of his feet off. So I was there for wound care. And then I started asking the questions and he said he didn't have food. He was hungry. Um, he hadn't eaten a few days. They had left and went away for Thanksgiving. So I immediately went you know, down the road, got him some food and brought it back to him. It was cold in the house. Uh, you could see your breath when you would breathe. And so um, it was the day before Thanksgiving and I stepped out and I had to leave him there. It broke my heart, but I called um, Adult Protective Services and they were in by the end of the day and they had him out of there. So um, you do have situations where you 
you also face the danger of once you, you know, get adult protective services involved, you've got a family who scream mad at you yeah. in that situation. You, you just have to do what's right for the patient. So I have had to face that one before as well. But I think some of the scarier situations that I look back and think, oh my gosh, I cannot believe, you know, I, I really could have died in this situation. I showed up at a patient's house one time and when I knocked on the door, he answered the door. And before I could even breathe, someone had yanked me by my scrub top and pulled me into the to the home. And immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm going to die. This is, I don't know what's going on, but this is how I'm going to die today. What had happened was it was a small mobile home park where the trailers were kind of lined up. Right before I had arrived, there had been a feud between the neighbors on each side of my patient's home. One had stepped out and shot across my neighbor's yard and killed the other one. The police had not arrived yet, but guess who showed up? Anna showed up for her visit. You were there before the police? (laughs) I was there before the police. You literally walked Um, into a crime scene. I literally walked across a a firing zone. I walked in and, and, you know, I know the son, the patient's son felt really bad. I know he could see it on my face because here's this big, huge, hulking guy who opens up the door and just grabs me, pulls me in, and I'm laying on the floor, and I'm like, you know, scared to death. You know, it's a sketchy kind of part of town anyway, apprehensive about going, and then this happens, and he goes, I'm so sorry. You do not belong here. You do not belong here. He said, here's what happened, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I do not belong here. I want to leave, and he goes, you can't leave. We just called the police. I'm there for a little while on the floor with this guy and his family thinking my father was not in heaven. How will be my name? Right. and just freaking out and then the police show up they come in and question is and I looked at the police officer and said I'm not supposed to be here and he goes no you're not and when he escorted me to my car that was it I never have been back into that mobile home park again and we had to discharge the patient luckily it wasn't a patient who had like the kind of services like a wound care or something but at that point you know I had literally walked into a crime scene and read in the paper the next day that the person had died I'd, I'd been at a murder scene wow um yeah, terrifying because had I walked in three minutes earlier, it literally he had shot through his window across to the other one. So I could have been in that line of fire. So very scary, you know, and I've had those really weird feelings. The last one that I can think of that was really, really scary to me was I went to see a patient and when I showed up at the address, I followed the GPS. It was a storage unit and I called him and I said, um, hey, I'm not a storage unit here. What, what, what's up? He goes, Oh, I'll open the gate and let you in. And I was like, okay. The gate, like the garage door of the storage unit? Yeah. So I drive oh. through the little gate and I go back down. I'm thinking, well, maybe he's living in like an RV because, you know, people park RVs there. Yeah. No. This guy was living like in D4 in the storage unit. There was a dirty mattress on the floor mm. and there was barrels with stuff in it. And I just thought to myself, yeah, no, I am not going to end up in a vat of acid on being a co-star on the next 48 hours. So it was nice to meet you, but I'm out of here. And so I left, went back, and we, of course, had to call APS because this person's living in a storage unit. We never did go back to see that patient. I'm sure he was removed, but we we removed ourselves from that situation. So um, you just never know what you're going to walk into. You put an address in GPS, and you go, and then you drive up, and your heart sinks, and you're like, oh, boy, please, God, watch over me while I'm in here. Well, and as um, a clinician, I'm sure you feel this draw for, like, I want to help the patient. I want to help this guy, and I'm interested, um, but I also am likening this in my mind to that idea of when you're in an airplane, and they tell you to put your own mask on before you can help somebody else with their mask. Like, you have to be in a place where you know you're safe. You can administer care the best way possible before you can help 
these patients. And then you've said a couple of things and I don't know this answer. So I'm going to ask you a question off the cuff here, but whose ultimate decision is it to see a patient again? Is that the clinician's decision or is that administration of the agency? It's kind of a two-way street. A lot of times clinicians feel pressured. They feel like I have to do this admission. I have to because, you know, we've got to meet our numbers. There's a lot of pressure there. You're getting paid per visit, right? In a lot of times. So Mm -hmm. you are, you're getting paid per visit sometimes. And also, you know, there is that goal of the agency to get as many admissions as they can. But that's where sometimes leadership really needs to make sure they're not failing their clinicians and that they're letting them know it's okay. It ultimately is the decision of the agency. Also, on the other hand, it is the decision of the clinician because you can refuse. You can just absolutely refuse. That may get you written up or you may get disciplinary action taken against you. But at the end of the day, it usually sorts itself out to say, hey, you know, now I understand. You know, maybe they'll send another clinician out there to see if they get the same problem. Let me send a male clinician to see if, you know, naked man shows up at the door for him. Just yeah. different things. And, and when you see that, then you can make the determination. Because as an administrator, I always, whenever a clinician would come to me, I would say, okay, let's talk through this. Do you think it's because of you? I mean, you know, not trying to put the blame on the clinician, but is that you're uncomfortable or do you think we have a real problem here? Those are the kind of conversations you have to be willing to have when you're in that position to make that decision. You got to decide things like when a doctor calls and gives you a referral at four o'clock on Friday afternoon to go out and do an IV at one in the morning and it's in that really bad area of town, you have to be able to speak up and say, okay, look, that's great. We'll love to take this admission, but can you keep them till the morning? push their IV a couple hours, then we'll be a couple hours late on it and and make it where we're there during the daytime and not having to go out in the middle of the night. And most of the time, the doctors will work with you. You know, they'll say, yeah, sure, we can do that. We understand. But you have to have that foresight to be able to say, wait a minute, let me look on the map and see where this is at. Let me see what we're doing and work together. It's a team effort. You make that decision together. But, you know, some things are, are a no-go no matter what. You know, that, that yeah. patient that smokes, the patient, you walk out there, the patient's smoking and they're on oxygen. That's such a big liability. Immediately, no one's going to argue that that can't happen. There's just really a lot that goes into it. Um, you just have to be able to be your own advocate and be an advocate for your, you know, your leadership, be an advocate for you as well. Yeah. And being proactive with giving them the knowledge because they're, so there are interpretive guidelines, right, that say the behaviors must be documented, the circumstances mm-hmm. have to be documented that may warrant the patient either being discharged or the HHA does have a responsibility to at least try to resolve the problem. So with some of the things that you've said, asking for accommodations or sometimes simply asking the patient to stop, to stop what they're yeah. doing and see if that that works. I mean, that attempt made to correct that issue and then notifying Absolutely. MD or talking to administration within the agency. But if you are within administration, what I'm hearing Anna say and what I would just reiterate is be proactive in empowering those clinicians to know that they can go with their gut, that they can come and to you and say, I did not feel comfortable. This is why. This is what I feel like we need to do, whether that's discharging the patient, taking another clinician out with them, because I feel like even going two by two might solve some real issues if 
if you're in a place where you don't want to be alone. Then there are also, there are things like GPS trackers, companies that offer clinician monitoring services that either will trigger a personal alarm or will just allow another set of virtual eyes to know where you are. Right. And that's also an option. It is an option. And also you cannot admit that patient. If you haven't admitted that patient and you get out there and there's something peculiar or something uncomfortable, you can put that on hold and you can get in touch with the administrator and say, I don't think we should admit this patient, which saves a lot of paperwork. You still have to reach out to the MD and say, we're not going to take this patient under care. But yeah, the guidelines do do say that if once you've admitted them, you do have to go through those proper steps to discharge and make them aware as well as the, the physician. Okay. Well, sometimes just having those things in place will deter those behaviors. They will. Sometimes. So, and openly discuss with your staff, with your patients. And if nothing else, that's what I hope that this conversation that we're having does. Let's people know, you know what? We haven't had that conversation in a while. We need to really talk about this and revisit those guidelines and encourage some open dialogue with how our clinicians feel as far as safety and maybe talk about preventative measures or education that we can provide because that is vital to keeping your staff, which as Anna, you've said, and it's so true, they are your greatest investment. They are your brand. They're doing the work that builds the agency. So as they're going out into the field to serve others, we really need to make sure that we have their safety in mind. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. I always love to hear your stories, but um, I really just also think this is such a huge issue and I'm glad that we had the conversation today. I am as well. And I hope that just by getting this word out there, maybe it will strike a chord in someone to take those extra steps to keep those clinicians safe. 